Matter Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. We have a lot to get to today, and uh, it's a beautiful day outside where I am. It's just wonderful weather. It, it's The turn happened last night. For those who don't know, if you live uh, in probably anywhere in, in, on the latitude that I live, but um, in upstate New York, I, I, you feel the turn. I didn't feel this as much when I was in Virginia, North Carolina. It was more gradual, but in, in New York, when fall comes, it's still summer, like during the day, it's still summer, but you can tell it's different. The air is crisper, it's clear, it's cooler at night, the leaves are starting to change, it's a wonderful time of year, and I felt the turn last night, and I, I get excited when I when I see that, because, uh, I mean, the fall is just, there's so many good things that happen in the fall. This is hunting season, uh, I think it's the best hiking season to some extent, it is just, it's absolutely gorgeous when the leaves start turning colors. Uh, which reminds me, we have a, an Adirondack men's retreat. Link is in the info section, October 28th through 30th. If you want to come, I would encourage you to come on out uh, to that. And information is, is on that link, and you can email me questions if you have them. But we've got people coming in from all over the country, flying into Albany and New York City, and we're arranging rides, and it, it's great. So uh, come on out for that. But anyway, it's, it's great uh, during this time of year. And I, I've taken it, I'm going to admit to you something. I've taken it a little bit easier this week than I have most other weeks of the year. Just a little bit. I Yesterday, I went fishing. Probably the first time I've been fishing in, in like five years or so. It, well, four four years. It's been a long, long time since I've been fishing. Um, and I went out with my brother and my dad. And in a uh, my brother had a cabin he was renting uh, in Massachusetts for a week for their family vacation. And so... Um, we had a good time, caught some bass, uh, and I, of course, uh, for those who are interested in this kind of thing, I, I have my typical setup is a gamakachu hook and Yamamoto worms, and I've been doing that since I was in high school. You know, in high school, during the summer, I could spend four or five days fishing, and you'd spend like four or five hours fishing, you know, during those days. I mean, I love fishing. And uh, and so I went to, I, I did a bunch of things. I tried a, some spinner, a spinner. I tried um, some, uh, you know, crankbaits and stuff, and this was what ended up working. And so uh, I, uh, I I threw my Junebug Red, you know, Yamamoto worm in the water. And it was after lunch. We had been out for breakfast. I didn't catch one thing. After lunch, I threw it in and was like, I don't know, within the first three casts or so, I get this this bass, this big bass. Now, most of the time people exaggerate the weight of fish that they catch. And I didn't have a scale with me, but I've measured so many fish. It's probably three, three and a half pounds. Okay. Most people would probably look at it and say, that's like gotta be six pounds. And it's not, it's like probably three and a half. And, and so, uh, most at most three and a half. So I thought, you know, I've gotten, I I've had, had the big fish for the day. And I kind of joked about it that, you know, we should just evaluate based on the size of the fish. Cause my dad and my brother, uh, were using, like bobbers and and worms because especially my dad likes to eat uh, panfish more so like pumpkin seeds and sunfish and that kind of thing and so i go for the bass and i like the big splashes on the water and all that and i probably caught like six of them well my dad though towards the end of the day uh with his little worm ended up catching the the largest bass we, we compared them and his was just slightly larger so i didn't even quite win that one but we uh fried them up last night and that was fun and the day before I went out and uh, I first ever time I've ever done a long ride on a road bike. And I have a, for those who care about this kind of thing, I felt VR, I think it's VR 60. And it was, it was amazing going, it was like a knife through butter going up some of these hills. And so uh, I did like a 65 mile uh, bike ride and, and went up into the mountains a little bit. And the, the elevation gain was, was almost 3000 feet. Um, so it was quite a grueling ride <laughs> for someone who doesn't really do it much, but I've been doing enough mountain biking that, or enough cycling on a mountain bike that I've, I've been able to work up to the point that that doesn't completely kill me, but my knee was hurting a little <laughs> by the end of that. And it was great though. And, uh, I'm looking forward to maybe once a week taking like a, a five hour bike ride, um, just to kind of clear my head. And, and I do a lot of thinking when I, when I'm on those kinds of things. Um, uh, and, and so that, and that brings me to, to something I wanted to talk about before we get to some of the topics today, because I mentioned two programs ago, I was going to talk about this and then I just, it 
slipped my mind. And so before it slips my mind, I want to let you know about something I've taken some practical steps toward. Um, the way that I've been running the podcast, I do most of the work, okay? Um, the vast majority of, of stuff, well, podcast stuff is pretty, is all me. But it's, a lot of it is taking time to go through material that oftentimes people send me. Most stuff is listener generated. I, I would say a lot of stuff. I mean, some things are things that I specifically want to talk about because I see them and I th see that, you know, this is, we need to talk about it. It's practical. It's, it's necessary, but it's, it's error, right? I'm, I've got my head in error a lot of the time. And I know that there's dangers when it comes to that. If I was, you know, thinking about Mormonism on a, you know, a consistent basis, uh, I would want to make sure that I'm balancing that with other things that are positive, that are truthful. Uh, Philippians 4.8. So uh, I've been thinking, not just for me, but just for you as well. Um, you know, this podcast is a supplement. It's not a multivitamin. But I've, I've thought about what positive things can we do on this podcast that will be supplemental. Because I think, here's, here's how I view a lot of the people out there listening. You know where to go for good Bible exegesis. To understand what the Bible says, there's resources. For those listening to this podcast, I know there's a lot of bad stuff out there, but I think if you're attracted to this podcast, you probably, uh, most of you at least, you, you know, you have good Bible teaching. The thing I think that's lacking a lot in evangelicalism, and there's probably more than one thing, but this is one of the things I've noticed, is um, an ability to interpret the the signs and the times, and, the, and I don't mean that eschatologically, I mean... Uh, the context in which we live, understanding it. Let me give you a quick example of this. I think, and I'm talking about conservative evangelicalism, not the woke stuff. Uh, Carl Truman's book, right? Uh, Rise and Fall of the Modern, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Uh, the, I had weird thoughts or feelings about that, and I couldn't put my finger quite on it, but as I thought about it more and I, as I molded over in the days afterward, I did a whole podcast on this, so you can go back and, and look if you don't know what I'm talking about, but I I was able to locate some things that just didn't seem to square with the world that we're living in. That, that's really how this was kind of reverse engineered from my perspective. Uh, and, and one of the big ones was it doesn't seem to address the issues with the, the BLM type issues. It, it seems like it might fit the sexual anarchy that we're in, but it doesn't seem to fit the BLM stuff. And why is that? What's a paradigm that makes sense of how we view ourselves uh, with all the available information out there, not just uh, coming from the LGBT lobby? And really, the, the main thing that Truman, as I explained in that podcast, missed was the whole concept that race and sex or gender are higher or social constructs in the mind of the ruling elites that these are not actually rooted in objective reality. There's no category for them. This higher um, kind of um, form or telos or design that God's given them, they're, they're just a uh, product of society itself. And once you understand that, things start making real sense, I think, of, and, and they, it makes sense of not just the gender confusion, but also the... Um, identity when it comes to ethnicity and, and probably other categories, uh, if everything's just socially constructed. And that's what Carl Truman seems to miss. And it's a, it's a major miss, to be honest with you. At first, I thought, well, it's a good book, but he, and, and I've, the more I've thought about it, I thought, you know, what, this isn't really that good of a book if you're, if it's not practical for the people you're actually writing to. And that's, and that's how it's being passed off. This is like, so practical and so helpful. And so um, if you misdiagnose the problem, you know, even if you identify some of the problems, but you misdiagnose them and you don't give the, it's going to impact the solution you give. So anyway, without reinventing the wheel and giving you a podcast I already gave you, uh, that's just one example among, I think, many where I've, I've heard, and I don't talk about it much, but I've heard non-woke, so anti-social justice sometimes, even pastors and, and th thinkers who just miss the context we're living in for some reason. They attribute um, they attribute it to weird stuff too, in my opinion, sometimes they attribute the woke stuff to something else that doesn't really make sense of it. And, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of, um, I'm not saying pragmatism doesn't factor into what's going on today, but I've seen some, some, honestly, some unusual threads on social media from conservatives where they just attribute everything 
that's happening currently to it's just pragmatism and and it's 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 an oversimplification is what it is uh we we talked what last week or two weeks ago about uh, a gentleman on a, a conservative talk show essentially attributing transgenderism to baptist theology that this is the outworking of baptist theology there's there's a lot of examples of this kind of thing that i don't talk about but that are out there and i thought well what what can be helpful not to to do what we what i normally have done which is to go out and you play the clips or you talk about the books here's the quotes and then i kind of rip into them and i show you this is what the bible says this is what uh this is what just reality is this is that these are the times we're living in and here's your primary sources and, and Rather than doing that, which is necessary to do, I thought I really want to help give conservative Christians who already know where to go for good Bible teaching some some books, some resources that I think help us apply that Bible teaching. So understanding the world we live in so that we can take these biblical principles and then we know how to apply them. If you don't know the world you're living in or the context you're in, it makes it very difficult to apply what the Bible teaches, all right? So um, there's a number of ideas I've had. The, this is one of them. There's there's another one. I'll just let you in on a few others that I haven't taken practical steps towards, but I want to do. Um, I'm probably thinking of doing this possibly in conjunction with the church I attend, but like a monthly men's um, kind of a hero kind of project where we talk about uh, m m godly men of the past and... Um, we especially forgotten godly men and we do bio sketches uh, and uh, that would be like a, a men's study kind of thing i've thought about doing that um, and, and that might be something for next year to take some practical steps using the podcast to do this I mean, these are positive things these aren't uh, negatively approaching something is very positive here's here's someone to emulate here's someone to uh, who can be a role model that kind of thing uh, so that's one of them. I thought about doing Bible studies, uh, maybe like a weekly, like we're going to go through a book or something. And, and that might be something too, but I've, because this program is supplemental I, and because I think so many of you know where to go to get good Bible exegesis, I've wanted to, um, I wanted to do something different, a little outside the box. So, so uh, I have talked to um, my brother and my dad and uh, my dad's a pastor. He, he's got an MDiv, and he's preached for, you know, he's been at the same church now for well over 30 years. But, um, and then my brother's in educational field and literature, you know, and that kind of thing. And so I was talking to them. I was thinking, well, this this could be a good thing where it, we could have some book discussions because where we all understand each other very well because we're part of the same family, obviously. And we bring something else, you know, different things to the table. And we can talk about some books that I really want conservative Christians to be familiar with. That I so here here's one of them, and and there's a number of these on my list. But here's one I thought we would possibly start with. It's by Richard Weaver. It's called Ideas Have Consequences. Some of you have heard of this, uh, but it is it's it's one of those books that I just wish everyone would read. <laughs> just I just do. It's impacted me so much, and the way I analyze things, I think. Uh, has been greatly affected by this book. And I mean, if you read it, it's, it's written, I think, in uh, the late 40s. I think it's just post-World War II, 1948. But it reads like it's so applicable to our time. Uh, and, and so I, I'm going to do a, a series or, or at least one podcast. I don't know how we're going to do it yet. It might be a long podcast or it might just be uh, a few podcasts. But we'll just film ourselves talking about it. And it'll be kind of like a book club thing. So that's um, one thing I wanted to let you guys know about in case anyone else wants to go get that book and read it. But there's a number of books I have on this list, and I think the vast majority are going to be books. Even if you go to a Bible-preaching, believing church, um, you're not going to know about this because these are more. These aren't about the Bible. These are about understanding the times in which we live. But it's helped me so much to be able to take biblical principles and apply them. So I hope that makes sense to everyone. I hope that's something that excites uh, you all. Uh, not going to stop doing some of the analyses uh, of other social justice errors, but I think doing something positive, uh, build the building stage. Okay, that's that's what I'm thinking about. We we have to, the dust is settling. Um, there's still a lot of people that don't know about the errors of their denomination, organization, you know, evangelical group they're in. 
we'll still expose, but I think it's time for some rebuilding. It's time for some, um, some, some real analyzing, uh, serious analyzing uh, the situation that's before us, serious analysis, not surface level stuff. So, uh, so that's, that's one of the things that I hope, um, and, and none of that was meant to be critical against other conservative Christians who don't read some of the same books I read, by the way, it's n- not my intention at all. It's just, if anything, it's, it's the opposite. It's let's introduce, uh, and, and maybe, maybe along the way, you'll introduce things to me. It won't just be me introducing things to you. Maybe, you know, I'll get some recommendations from you for, you know, this is a really important book, but we're going to stick to some classics. And I wanted to start off with some, uh, I don't mean classical literature. I mean like conservative classics. So paleoconservative classic um, analyses of Western civilization. And that this is going to be the first one. Uh, there's a number of others. Maybe we'll do some Russell Kirk stuff and some Roger Scruton stuff and some, uh, I don't know where we'll take it uh, completely, um, but there, there's a lot. So I uh, just want to let you know about that. Let's um, start the program off with this. I'm going to play for you a clip, and uh, I'm going to—I'll—I'll I'll tell you who these people are uh, afterward. But there's an interviewer, of course, and then there's the interviewee. And the interviewee, uh, let's just say, has some some confusion on gender. Okay, and and so I want you to hear this, and then I'm going to let you in on where this person is speaking and what it says about kind of the direction of the PCA and evangelicalism or the implications for the direction of the PCA and evangelicalism in particular. Here is the clip. For me, not why I say I'm non-binary and I, I hate to like keep beating a dead horse on this, but, but I specifically say this for me, I'm not trying to prescribe it on anybody else. Yeah. If I were to know what like came completely naturally to me. And when I say natural, I mean as natural as like picking up a pencil with my right hand mm-hmm. kind of natural, I would have transitioned to male by this point in my life. Um, I feel like God is telling me not to transition, um, that that's just not part of my story right now. Um, but when I hear she and her pronouns, or if I'm like dressing super effeminately, um, it, that causes me to want to self harm. And so for me being non-binary is my way of following God to the best of my ability, Mm -hmm. albeit imperfectly, which all of us are following Christ imperfectly. If we're, if we're really honest with ourselves, um, it's me doing, following Christ to the best of my ability with my gender identity. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So your pronouns, they, them, um, it's taken me a while. Uh, I, I feel like I, I'm for the most part, I, I, I'm getting them. So when we look at between she and he, there's one letter difference in S, right? So forget, I understand they, they is complex and we can talk about that again in a minute, Mm -hmm. but if you're just looking about between she and he, that's the difference of one letter Mm -hmm. and you're telling somebody that their life is not worth dropping one letter. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we can missiologically look at how Christ stood mm-hmm. and say your life is not worth that one letter. Wow. Is, is there anything that does minimize it, relieves it that you found? And again, just your personal story. I mean, I've yeah, heard so, other people describe certain things or. Yeah. So for me, it's short hair, okay. um, short purple hair right now. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I typically am wearing, you know, guys clothes. Um, and that, that helps me. Um, you know, it's. I, I wouldn't I say you're wearing guys' clothes because there, there's a lot of clothing's gender neutral, largely, right? I mean, I don't. From men's stores. Oh, okay. Let, let's yeah. Say that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, like literally the only female thing on me on my body right now is my bra. I mean, like okay. everything else is male, um, and it's TMI probably, but I just don't really have that. <laughs> That's line. the all gender raw. There's no such thing as TMI on the show. <laughs> um, but you know, so. Um, but but here's another thing where where I just want to call how we are societally biased. If I were to walk down the street right now, just because you know this is kind of a teal shirt, you know people aren't going to look at which way the buttons are to figure out that this you know is is a guy's shirt. You know for the most part, people aren't going to figure that out. But if I were a trans woman and I were walking down the shirt in a blouse, you better believe people are going to call me on it. Mm-hmm. And there are even pastors who would call call a trans woman on that who wouldn't call me on what I'm, I'm wearing. Mm, yeah, and so yeah. there isn't consistency. There isn't equity. Back in April, there was um, a trans man that was stabbed to death, you know, and these are just horrific, horrific stories of how people were treated. Um, there was uh, one in, in California. They don't even know they, they can't, they can't put a specific date on it because, uh, because of it being in the water and the de- decomposition of the body. Um, you know, it's just, surely we can get behind protecting 
people from being brutally murdered. Um, what, what's the solution? Like, what what's what's not happening that's allowing this? Would you say, like, how how would a Christian get behind reducing reducing that? So so here's the thing: it's, it's going to take a huge societal shift, and that starts with using pronouns, using chosen names. Um, so when we when we start to normalize these experiences, so by leading with "Hi, my name is blah blah blah" and my pronouns are," if you as a cis person say that, then you're normalizing it in society so that it's not making the trans person seem quite so over there and quite so uh, so different and so othered. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and as trans people, we are you know a marginalized people group, a marginalization of a marginalization of a marginalization. Now, for those of you who were watching, you know who the, these people are because I put, when I chopped up the, the video and made clips, I put their names uh, on the, the video reel there. So Preston Sprinkle is the one doing the interview, and his organization has frankly pushed a lot of the sexual anarchy into Christian circles. And then, more importantly for our purposes, Leslie Hudson Reynolds is the one who uh, is the interviewee. Now, why is that important? Well, Leslie Hudson Reynolds uh, is going to be speaking at a conference soon, and I will show you. Here's Leslie uh, Hudson Reynolds. Uh, Here's her her bio on the conference website. Says she's the director of donor relations as well as the posture shifts. Posture shifts. That's her organization. Uh, resident uh, at the gender identity and a gender identity expert. They also assist the president in managing guiding families direct care for transgender young people and their families. Uh, So Posture Shift is the organization she's with, and um, they uses the preferred pronouns on this conference website. They recently began pursuing their MDiv. Well, it's obviously talking about it's talking about a her. It's talking about she. It's talking about Leslie Hudson Reynolds, but it says they recently began pursuing their MDiv. And Leslie lives in Tennessee and is a huge New England's Patriots fan. I don't know how that works out, but <laughs> so uh, this is Leslie Hudson Reynolds. The conference is Revoice, Revoice 22. This is coming up October 6th through 8th. And uh, it's being hosted at Chase Oaks Church in Plano, Texas. Now, of course, Revoice started in uh, the Missouri Presbytery, I believe, in the PCA. Greg Johnson, of course, the, the big name kind of uh, behind Revoice, hosting it and everything. And, of course, here's some of the uh, other participants. you got Nate Collins here, who we've talked about before, went to Southern Seminary and uh, worked at Southern Seminary for, for a bit. And then... Um, uh, some of these people, we've Greg Johnson right here, we've talked about. Some of them we haven't. I know Greg Coles is on this list. We've definitely talked about Greg Coles' book, Single Gay Christian. Wesley Hill, I think I've mentioned before. So some of these we recognize, but I did not recognize. I did not know who Leslie Hudson Reynolds was. But I believe, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time Revoice, their conference, has had has used these preferred pronouns in the bio sketch of one of their speakers and had someone who's pushing the envelope as far as Leslie Hudson Reynolds is. This, and Revoice has been a mess, I think, from the beginning, but it's becoming more of a mess. And that's the point that I wanted to make. It's becoming worse. There is a, there is a slope downward. <laughs> and and some, some say that they'll, they'll call, if you, if you sound the alarm and say, this leads to sexual anarchy, right? Classic is gay marriage is going to lead to the the i the whole concept of marriage is going to be devalued and we're going to have all kinds of other arrangements eventually that are going to pass for for marriage and the uh argument was that's just a slippery slope that's a fallacy well it's 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 actually not 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 that particular argument at least because the whole idea was if you uh, the basis on which people were arguing for gay marriage was the complete destruction of the definition of marriage that was the whole basis of it the whole logic behind same-sex marriage was we're going to throw out the definition with nothing to replace it except our arbitrary whim so when people would say well why can't it be three people why does it have to be two people just because right there really isn't anything rooted in, in objective reality it's just our whim because guess what it's all a social construct anyway it's what serves our social purposes. And churches have gone this direction too. I was talking to uh, my dad about this the other day. And I think for a lot of the people who say, oh, it's just pragmatism out there. 
there's some truth to it, but they're missing something. And one of the things I think that that's being missed here is that when the seeker sensitive kind of era, the '90s seeker sensitive church, early 2000s, it is different in in this sense. That was very focused on individuals. Now I'm not saying there isn't a focus on individuals, but it was very it, whatever you want. It was appealing to you as an individual. Nowadays, then, and I and I saw this when I was at Southeastern. The new um, emphasis that churches are supposed to have that are chip and trendy and all that is they are supposed to be their they're community organizations. They're supposed to be the programs aren't just for you. It's to benefit the community. And so it's become more and more uh, as the, the our society has become more and more focused on the social uh, social benefits, the social implications of decisions and organizations and actions so have gone the churches that the churches exist as their function is to assist in the evolution of society to make society better to make the world a better place to um for the the corporate body the, the community whatever it is the global community now they're saying which is like kind of an oxymoron uh they're they're trying to show that the church fits into this, this new um, hierarchy that's emerging. And it has a place because it's going to, to, to assist in greater equality and diversity and inclusion, and, and it's going to be an asset to one's local and global community, right? And, and this, I would agree, makes you feel good. If you're a young progressive, especially, it makes you feel like you're part of something bigger, and I got it. So... So there is a tie between the two, but they're not the same. It's not all about you. In fact, you'll hear more progressive-minded social justice activists, Christians, and evangelical circles say that kind of thing. Like, it's not all about you. You know, you need to think about your world. And, of course, it's all the leftist analyses and solutions. But uh, where was I going with that? So with this, um, with this particular organization, Revoice, they are taking a step downward. They, they, they're as the culture moves in this direction and or as society has moved in this direction and the elites in society have decided that greater sexual anarchy actually means more equality and that's the telos that's the goal that's the purpose of society itself because society that's that's the classic progressive mindset is society has this function it has this purpose it, we're going somewhere right it's not just uh it's a stagecoach not a farm it's not we're not just trying to live and get by in a broken, sinful world, uh, and do the best we can. And yeah, it's going to get a little dirty, you know. But we're on the farm, you know. We can enjoy life here. It's the stagecoach. It's we are, we have a goal. We're going there as fast as we can. And the tr progressive churches want to be horses on the stagecoach. Like we're going to help pull with you, right? We're going to make it easier for you to accomplish this goal. And equality or equity is the word they use now. You know that this is social equity is, is one of these big goals, and. In order to do that, the people driving the stagecoats, the elites have decided it's got to be sexual anarchy, though. We got to throw out definitions. We have to make sure that um, gender is is fluid. It's not rooted in anything objective, because if you start rooting it into objective realities, then we are creating lines and distinctions that are oppressive. And that doesn't promote equality. That actually is the opposite of that. So. Uh, churches have to figure out how do we keep the Bible on the one hand, which assumes all these creative norms and these these limitations, and then on the same in the same way, how can we be a horse on that stagecoach? Hopefully, that analogy makes sense. And Revoice, I think, is one of the big proponents, one of the one of the the trailblazers for these progressive Christians on how they can do it. And Revoice started. So it was in error from the beginning, but it started more as a way of we're going to be biblical. That's how they promoted it. We're going to try to approach sexuality uh, by detaching ourselves from cultural bigotries and just being biblical. So untether ourselves from the tradition of the past and how the Bible's always been interpreted and how what the, even the Bible assumes. We, we just we don't deal with that. We now are it's year one. It's French Revolution year zero. And we are going to start with fresh eyes looking at the Bible. But of course, it's not fresh eyes because we're their revoice always brought in this baggage, these assumptions uh, from psychology and from really postmodern theory that uh, gender is this 
fluid thing. Now, they wouldn't have said that at the beginning. I'm pretty sure there weren't sessions saying that gender is a fluid thing. But once you start saying that uh, gender norms don't really exist, that these are cultural things that uh, we can just kind of play with and uh, we can we can change, we can, you know, uh, and it's, it's not to say that there aren't certain cultural things associated with gender, for instance, uh, certain clothing styles, like I'm wearing a men's shirt right now, right? That kind of thing. Uh, it's not to say, but but those are supposed to be pointing to something deeper, something objective. That's the whole point, right? And these are signals about that deeper reality. And so uh, Revoice started out with the logical premise that would have led to Leslie Hudson Reynolds. It would have led to where it, it, there was no stopping it. There was nothing to deter it from going in that direction. When you start, you know, when you start off with sessions on redeeming queer culture, as if queer culture is this wonderful thing that, that you know, it needs to be uh, celebrated and Christians should get around it. Well, no, it, there's actually not, it's not even a culture. You, you're, you're creating categories that not only aren't biblical, but they don't exist in the real world. It's not a culture. It's just, it's a group of, it's a sinful lifestyle that people have uh, now uh, coalesced around. And, and if sure, they have their art, they have, you know, the things that would, but it's, it's an artificial uh, imitation of a culture. It's not a real culture. Culture, I, as the word designates, it's to cultivate. It's, it's not something that it's, it's nurturing. And, and when we think of cultures, we're thinking of nurturing in the sense of raising children, of having children, raising children, passing on traditions to them. Uh, this whole queer culture thing is something that was is developed artificially around a sinful lifestyle. Uh, and so I understand sometimes when you use the word culture about, you know, the fly fishing culture or, you know, the culture of this church or the, I, I get that, but it's not a substitute family, which is how, uh, you know, when you look at even LGBT or queer it, it, in the broad range of things that that encompasses, how is that even a uniting principle? What, what do these, each of these letters have in common with the others? They're just not straight cis you know, uh, people that's, they're, they're not, the only thing they have in common is they deviate from the obvious standard we all know deep down exists, that God made two genders and he made them male and female to have, and, and he made them to function in certain ways and had to have certain broadly speaking, uh, traits that are associated with them. That's creative. That's the creative norm. That's what God created. And the LGBT, the whole idea of that is to, um, leave, exclude that because that's not part of it. You can't be straight and part of that, right? So it's to it, everything but the norm, the standard we all know. It's to exclude it, and 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 then we keep adding to that because we've we've let go of the standard, the objective reality, and we've said everything's a social construct. And that's what leads to logic like Leslie Hudson Reynolds, where she says in the clip you just heard that um, that being non-binary is following God. It's following God to be non-binary. Well, how do, where do you get this from the Bible? You don't. You don't get it from the scripture. Um, well, I don't see a Bible verse that says you can't be. Yeah, right. Because the Bible is like, it's like the gluten-free cookbook, right? I don't see anything that says you can't have a gluten recipe, right? Because it's the gluten-free cookbook. The assumption from the beginning is that it's male and female, uh, husband, wife, mother, father. That's the assumption of the whole book. It doesn't have to come out and explicitly say. So this is, this is so devious, so undermining, so subversive, but so obvious to someone I think who's rooted in the Bible uh, and the assumptions that the authors of scriptures would of scripture would have had, and, and namely God Himself, the the author of scripture, that this um, this is actually the acid that eats into biblical sexual ethics. Non-binary means following God. No, it doesn't. Um, uh, and, and of course, she puts this caveat in, and perfectly, and perfectly following God. No, no. Uh, and, and then tries to uh, sort of uh, spread, spread the blame around in a way that, well, if you criticize me by saying that, you know, what I'm doing isn't biblical, then, well, how you're following God isn't biblical because everyone follows God imperfectly. You see how, how devious this is? How um, subversive? It, it's it's hard for some people. This is hard to catch, but 
what she's doing is she's trying to take advantage of the inadequacies everyone has in their uh, relationship with the Lord because we're all sinners and then say that she's justified in her sin. But the thing is, the difference is these other imperfections that people have are things that they repent of. They don't go and they um, make it their label and advocate for it. She is advocating for it. For instance, if someone follows the Lord in general and then they sin, they slip up in an area and uh, they, let's say they they steal, they cheat on something, okay? They, um, you know, some a classic, you know, they, they cheat on, uh, uh, they, they, go to the DMV and they say they paid a hundred dollars for a car that they really paid, you know, thousands of dollars for something like that. Right. They're, uh, they're, they're not being honest. And, um, and then they confess, they repent, you know, this is okay. This is something that, uh, is we, we, we could say this is wrong. This is breaking a commandment, but who goes and says, this is what I have to do to follow God. I have to cheat when I, on, on my, uh, my title at the DMV. That's part of following God. And I think I want to advocate it for others to do. And guess what? If they criticize me, well, they have inadequacies. See, that would that doesn't make sense in that scenario, but we're willing more to accept it today in this scenario because there's so much pressure to accept uh, transgenderism. Uh, preferred pronouns uh, is, is now incumbent upon the church. And she has this whole section I didn't put in there, but on how preferred pronouns are essentially uh, what prevent trans people from committing suicide. It's the same logic you get out in the world that they're committing suicide because they're not accepted. And uh, and society, since since this stuff is all a social construct anyway, society just needs to really come around and use these preferred pronouns. Um, and if they're not, it's because of their bigotries. See how this works? Uh, she wears men's clothing. Uh, and, she, and she says, her quote, not mine, we need a huge societal shift, a huge societal shift. And she uses the postmodern language of othered uh, so that we're not othered. So if you don't use preferred pronouns, if you don't accept her way of following God, if you don't, uh, if you don't introduce yourself with your preferred pronouns, even if you're a uh, straight uh, person, straight male, then you are othering. In other words, you are marginalizing. You are pretending as though these people don't uh, have a place in the society that you feel should exist and that is bigotry and and so she's giving the same exact logic of the world and yet and yet this is someone who would probably i would say uh there was there was a point i didn't include in the montage where she says something along the lines of more conservative sounding like the you know that transgenderism is a sin or something but it's it's literally like getting as close to the line and the cliff as possible and then i'm not going to jump off or, or no, what, what she says, now I remember, what she said was that she's not saying that you aren't biologically man or woman, that you're one of those things. So she, she has to kind of acknowledge that in Christian circles that, okay, you're biologically gathered. I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't, that, that you can be uh, biologically a man and uh, even though you're biologically a woman. She's like, I'm not saying that, but all, but but how? What's she gonna do? What's what are the um, stopping points at this point? In other words, what what's the logic that you could employ to prevent someone from going to, to that conclusion somehow? Why can't she slip into the same thing the rest of the world or secular world around her is saying that you just get a, a surgery, you know, and biologically now you're you're comported to the what you actually are, what society the, the experiences that you have that society has determined you are. Why not? So uh, there's nothing to, of course, prevent that. And so Revoice in the matter of a f five years from now or three years, when, when, when do they start? Four years ago, something like that. So another four years, what is it going to look like? That's the question, because this is just a, a slope downward. And it's not a logical fallacy. When you give up the definitions, you end up becoming untethered. Now, I want to, um, uh, I just wanted to highlight that because this is a fight in the PCA, and the fact that you know people like Greg Johnson are still in the PCA, that Missouri Presbytery is still you know in, as far as I know, good standing, and that the PCA either they take a million years to act on these issues or they're incapable of act. It just 
I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Now I'm not. I'm not Presbyterian, so I, you know, I, I don't want to, as an outsider who doesn't understand all the inner workings, be too harsh. But it's like, guys, like, how long do you have to go? Like, if the PCA is unable to discipline someone like a Greg Johnson who hosts these conferences, then I don't know what good being an organization like that is. You, it has to happen like now. Uh, this stuff is is a cancer. Uh, now, I wanted to share with you uh, this as well. This is interesting to me, and it's along the same lines and it make, it making really the same point that I'm trying to make about Revoice and how far that they've fallen. Uh, I want you to check out uh, this particular tweet. Now, uh, this was uh, sent to me recently, and I had to go back and look and do some refreshing, but here is the tweet. Grant Hartley, the person who tweeted it out, says this. Losing myself dancing at a couple gay bars in the Castro last night with friends and strangers until 3 a.m. was about as close to an experience of heaven as I can imagine. Heart. July 9th, 2022. This was last, or over two, now it's two months ago, I guess, almost. But that's what he was doing. And the response is interesting to me. Hey, you in San Francisco? Matt Michelotis. And Grant Hartley says, I am. And then Matt Michelotta says, nice, I grew up in the East Bay, one of the greatest cities in the world. Now, would it surprise you to learn that these individuals, Matt Michelotis and Grant Hartley, once had positions, even prominent positions, to some extent, in evangelical organizations? It might, but... Hopefully it doesn't, because this is what we've been talking about for a few years. In fact, Grant Hartley and Matt Michelotis have been mentioned on this podcast before. It's been a few years, but I want to show you some things uh, from the podcast, if I may. I'm going to cover myself up here. Let me uh, let me show this to you. This is Grant Hartley when he worked at Crew, Crew, uh, and I'm assuming he's not there anymore, but. Um, he had on his profile while he was at crew that he was LGBTQ in Christ. And this was, uh, this was one of the things he did for ministry in working at crew, formerly campus crusade. Uh, it's has an unimaginative title. It's called coming out. So I hope you guys enjoy it. We are all born gemstones, but fatally fractured. Our skin, bleeding rubies, brokenness, and beauty, and tension. And I have heard it said that it is our decision whether we see these cracks as channels for rivers of light to run through, or wounds to be bound and healed. Well, if I tear off these bandages and stretch these arms wide enough, will it prove to you that these gashes cut all the way through? and that I'm willing to bleed my life and all its secrets out for you ever since I was 13. 13, when that gold rush of blood chose my attractions for me, I've been hiding because I've been afraid. Okay, we're going to stop there. I've played the whole thing on the podcast before, but it's been like three years. Now, Grant Hartley, there's this whole, there's no gospel in this. It's a whole uh, poem that he wrote about coming out and how, and, and look, he, he didn't choose these attractions. This, they were chosen for him. And he's remembering even the, the blood rush he had. And just uh, that this is, this is what passes, I guess, for ministry, at least at one point. And um, in, in crew. Well, now, now this wasn't just Grant Hartley. Uh, Grant Hartley wasn't just doing stuff for crew. He was, guess what? I mentioned this earlier on purpose. He did the lecture for Revoice on redeeming queer culture. Queer culture. So Grant Hartley Crew, uh, association with with Revoice at, at at that time. I don't think he's speaking this year. I didn't see him on the list, but uh, he he did have this um, this association in evangelical circles to some extent. Now uh, people do change their mind, right? There, there are, I can even think of people that go to the church that I tend that at one time would have professed to be Christians and now don't, I don't know where Grant Hartley's at, but he did have 
the director of the organization that he was at at the time he was at it, Matt Michelotis, responding to him, responding to that tweet. There's no correction. There's no, and, and not that I'm not saying that everything you post on Twitter has to be a correction, but nice encouragement, encouragement with, hey, nice that you're doing this, that you're dancing at all these. That, that, that would be someone who is a ministry director. Now, here's, uh, let me show you what uh, was posted at Enemies Within the Church back in the day. It's not there now. I had to go back on the Wayback Machine to find it. But um, this is Enemies Within the Church website. And this is from, I don't see the date on it, actually. Uh, this would have been, I guess, this must have been 2019. But, uh, and it's about Crew 19. And so the issue being discussed here was uh, someone who was uh, invited to speak at Crew 19 uh, named Caitlin Curtis, who was described herself as probably a pagan and a Native American Christian Christian mystic. And she was invited. And so Matt Michelotis defends this decision, essentially, or talks about the decision and then says, hey, you know, we were going to invite Catholic speakers, a Catholic priest to come. And, you know, we're broad, basically, very broad, apparently. Caitlin Curtis is the one who rejected the invitation to come and speak at Crew at that time. Christianity Today uh, then interviews Matt Michelotis, and this is 2021. This is June 3rd, 2021, a little over a year ago. After um, this, this is the Seeking Clarity and Unity document comes out. If you remember that, there was some more conservative-minded people in Crew who were uh, concerned, Orthodox Christians, concerned about the infiltration of CRT social justice, including uh, the queer theory stuff. And uh, they they find Matt Michelotis to comment on it. And what does Matt say about this? We've talked about this document. Matt says, it's a piece of propaganda. That's right. It's a piece of propaganda. And it's very well documented. I would encourage you to look, look it up. Look it up. It's a piece of propaganda, he said, a former program director who helped organize Crew's staff conference. It's not reporting. It's not designed to share two sides of a picture. It's designed to push a very specific agenda. Michelotta uh, said organizers wanted to ensure the conference would be meaningful and transformative for all attendees, the 2015 staff conference, which was woke, rather than programming for the majority. That means that majority that's used to have everyone programmed for them would still have something that they would love, but someone else from a different spectrum of theology would also feel represented. And of course, Matt's spectrum is pretty, pretty wide. Uh, inviting people who describe themselves as pagans to speak, you know, positively reinforcing a former employee, uh, Grant Hartley, with dancing until 3 a.m. because that's as close to, at gay clubs because that's as close to heaven as I mean, this is just in, incredible. Uh, so, um, I'm going to just stop it there. The, the reason that I brought this up is for, cause I've had this for a few weeks, but I wanted to bring it up now because it dovetailed with what I was talking about in regards to revoice. And the point here is that it's a slide. It's when, she, once you make the compromise, it's easier to make the next compromise, make the next compromise, make the next compromise. We see this in the biographies of men in scripture and women. We see this in uh, the teaching of scripture, this general, when, once you forsake, uh, once you forsake God and really forsaking his creative norms, forsaking who he actually is as a creator is part of this. And you trade in the truth for a lie. You start worshiping the creature, whether that's individual people or uh, the society, a group of people, or it's, or it's nature, it's, it's animals, whatever it is. But it's something in creation. It's not the creator. Once you start that, you you start a slide. You start descending. And that's what we're seeing here. This is a descent. And we see it with people that at one time were defending their Christian bona fides. Uh, claimed to be Christians and worked, had influence in these evangelical organizations. You see now where Revoice is gone. Uh, and now you can see where some of these people... Now, look, there there are people who realize this error, they repent, they turn. That's Christians, as Christians, we need to accept when people do that. We need to receive them joyfully back when they truly repent. They don't repent, though, and they still try to maintain some kind of Christianity. It's the off-ramp from Christianity. It is the off-ramp from anything biblical or orthodox, and that's what we see going on. And so we have that with 
former staff members of crew we have we're seeing that with the revoice conference and uh if they are continuing on this channel without opposition really significant opposition from the denomination the pca then i just don't know what to say i really don't this is um incredible to me so um there you have it uh, revoice endorsing on to some extent the preferred pronouns now, there's a lot more to get to, and since we're running short on time, I'm probably going to have to, again, save some things. Uh, there, there's so much, it's, it's frankly, it's uh, overwhelming, uh, the amount of things. We do have Will McCraney on uh, tomorrow on the podcast to talk about some developments in his situation with the North American Mission Board and the SBC. I think you're going to want to uh, see that. Um, and, and there's just so much more that I need to get to that uh, I simply haven't had all the time that I want to get to. But uh, we, we're going to talk about uh, a number of other things regarding critical race theory, regarding social justice in general, and uh, just regarding the, the place that we're at in 2022 in the United States. And I know many of you listen outside the United States, so the Western world in general, but the United States uh, in particular. Yeah, we, we live in some interesting times, and I'll leave... I'll, I'll end with this comment. I don't I always talk about things going on in national politics, but I have never seen a speech like Biden's, the one he gave earlier this week, where, I mean, I hear a lot of complaints, or I used to at least, among um, progressives about how they don't like conservatives because conservatives are reactionary, divisive, and believe in us versus them. Hillary Clinton used to complain about this a lot. I've never heard a more us versus them speech than what Biden did earlier this week where he took a speech and the whole attempt of the entire speech was just to marginalize a group of of uh, MAGA Republicans, essentially, just to make them feel like they're, they're in the minority, they're not truly American, and that's really the bottom line. You're not truly American if you don't go along with the agenda. And I see the same thing in the church, and I should say what calls itself the church. You're not truly a Christian unless you go along with us and, you, uh, and, and you're not truly behaving like Jesus would unless you use preferred pronouns or things like this. This is what's happening. That the, It is a dictionary battle. The definitions are changing. And when you change the definitions, you control the language, you control the debate, you control the battle, you control the outcome. That's just how it works. It's worked that way for a long time, and we can't accept it. We have to take the language back. We have to Make sure that we don't accept these faulty definitions and then argue from a place of disadvantage. Uh, no, there's two genders. Sorry. God made it that way. He created the, the world. We're not accepting your premise. Uh, sorry, you know, Biden, I'm not accepting the premise that you're not an American because you don't comport to some ideological framework. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because I, I was watching this documentary uh, or I, I was listening to it the other day. It was a conservative documentary. I won't say what, what it was because it had some good things in it, and I don't want to take away from the people who produced it. But there was an interview in it that was just, I thought, this is a terrible interview, but it had, you know, glowing music behind it, just patriotic music, military-type music. This this is the We're Americans. And the person who was being interviewed said, essentially, that a real American isn't someone who's born in America. It's not someone who looks a certain way. It's not someone who speaks a certain language. It's not someone who has a certain religion. It's not a real American is someone who believes in the idea of freedom. That's a real American. And I just thought to myself, well, you just destroyed really any meaningful definition of what American is. Because what's freedom? You know, freedom is so... Uh, that has to be contextualized. <laughs> if so, anyone can uh, can change what what freedom is supposed to be or the definition. And I'd say the left says equality. The right tends to say freedom. But it gets you into these weird places. So, as someone who believes in freedom in Afghanistan, then a real American—they were never born here, don't speak the language. You know, they have not no attachment other than they believe in freedom. Does that make them an American? What makes someone an American? We're losing the definition of this. We're losing what it means. We can we can assimilate people. People who come here, we, they go through, who immigrate legally, go through a process, and they become Americans. But the way that they become Americans 
is by it's it's the way that families adopt children in a, in a sense or the way, the way someone becomes part of a family that they're not connected to um, genetically they become part of the family uh, by means of the family accepting them and them going through a process by which they become trust is built between them and the other family members uh, to some extent um, in family arrangements of course this you know generally it, it takes time uh, and it, the formation of identity through um, all, it's a complex matrix, really, but it's experiences, identity, it, it's uh, uh, beliefs, it's it's all it's all kinds of things. It's the uh, protection and love and resources being administered, and the, the the roles being set. And and but when someone becomes a citizen of a country, at least in our country, we have required certain things uh, in order for them to to have that trust built and for them to be integrated, to be grafted in to what is the United States, what is a citizen. But the the people who are born here, who live here, who carry on the tradition, speak the language, you know, that kind of thing. Th- those would be, that's always how we've thought, that's always what we thought an American is, right? Now we see the left and the right having a tug of war over this, over in ideological grounds. And there, were, there are many on the right who just want to say, if you don't comport to these certain beliefs, you're not an American. And we have on the left, which, and they're way more aggressive, you have Biden saying, if you don't comport to our ideals of equality now, you're not even part of this country. Can you imagine being raised here, born here, having parents who made it, you know, parent, grandparents who went off to war, let's say, uh, parents who are, you know, participate in, in civics, maybe police officers, firemen, whatever. You're so ingrained into this country. Your, your family heritage goes back to, um, to, to the very moment of exploration and settlement. And, you might even be related to prominent presidents and explorers, and but you're not a real American unless you comport to Biden's definition of what equality is and agree with it. Southern Baptist Convention can't seem to define what a pastor is. Revoice can't seem to figure out what a man or a woman is now. I mean, the definitions are falling all around us, and as Christians, we have to hold them up. We have to say, our eyes aren't lying to us. Call a spade a spade. And we're not going to participate in this this childish illusions. We live in a world of order, and the order is becoming disorder. And and when we leave God, when we leave, and and the Christians are, professing Christians are doing this. That's the thing. They're leaving God. They don't even. They think that they have the Bible. They have God. They're leaving. uh, They're leaving order. They're leaving definition. They're leaving uh, biblical norms. They're attacking norms where they are found in traditions and social mores. They want to be a part of that stagecoach. They want to be a horse running in the direction that the uh, globalist elite masters on the stagecoach want, want to take it. And they think that's going to give them fulfillment and make them serve. They'll be able to survive what's coming. And no, they won't. So what can the righteous do when the foundations crumble is the question. And that, that, Last thing I'll say, that is what I'll be talking about in October. You can go to worldviewconversation.com to get more information about this conference. But I will be talking at the Jesus and Politics Conference uh, coming up. And uh, I'll show you on the website. If you go to worldviewconversation.com, you go to speaking, speaking tab. And uh, it is right here. It's uh, the Syracuse, Indiana, the Jesus and Politics Conference, October 22nd, and then October 20th, which I really got these reversed, I guess. So October 20th is the first one. I'll be in Kendallville, Indiana, speaking at Fellowship Bible Church. So um, first in Kendallville, Indiana, and then in Syracuse, Indiana. would love to see you. But at the Jesus and Politics Conference, which you can email Tim Bushong if you're interested in, I will be speaking on the subject, What Can the Righteous Do? when these definitions, when these foundations are completely attacked and destroyed. God bless. Hope that was helpful for everyone. More coming by. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.